Welcome to the investigation game where we equip you with tools to decipher evidence and to find money. I'm your host, Leah Wheatholter, and today I'm joined by our Workman Forensics case manager, Lydia Johnson. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So Lydia and I actually go way back. Gosh, we've probably been friends for like 12 years-ish, more. Probably. Yeah. Back to college days. I know. So we're, we're both OU grads. And um, that's kind of become a theme here lately at Workman. Uh, not intentional, but great people. And so you have a degree in finance from mm-hmm. ORU. And then you worked for a large public accounting firm in auditing mm-hmm. for several years. And then you went to a um, local here in Tulsa, a publicly traded energy company and worked in accounting. What was your role there? Um, I was in corporate accounting and helped provide reports to management filled in in financial reporting and a bunch of different areas, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to see a lot a lot of different areas and roles and um, was there about eight years, I think. Wow, that's awesome. And then you taught at Tulsa Community College for I a little did, bit. I did, after I had my daughter, wanted to kind of step, take a step back, do some part-time stuff, and that was a good fit for a, few, a couple of years and an adjunct, adjunct instructor um, for accounting. Yeah. So very, very knowledgeable background in accounting for sure. And then it's been about three and a half years and kind of during that time you were teaching that you started working mm-hmm. um, here at Workman as well, helping us with analysis. And Lydia has some of the like prettiest work papers of anybody who's ever worked <laughs> here, I think. Thanks um, to my auditing days. Yeah, but to then just being able to communicate, which is actually what kind of led into your role now as our case manager, where you handle all client communication. So once a client comes on board with workmen, they, you know, maybe talk to me for a little bit, talk to a client services rep, and then um, they get to talk to you and work with you. And Mm -hmm. so because of that, I asked you to join us today because I wanted to talk about what does somebody do? What do our listeners do whenever they get a case and it's dealing with financial information? Like where do they even start? Financial information can seem so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And yet I feel like at, at workmen, we've done a really nice job over the last eight and a half years of just honing in on what is most important and what's the most valuable piece of information without getting carried away by all the drama. So because you get that from the clients first, that's why I wanted you to sure. kind of be here and talk about it. And I mean, just take a step back before we dig into the details. You know, a business can have amazing infrastructure and state-of-the-art equipment. And if their data is bad, though, it's going to lead to poor decision-making. And so in that same vein, what we do at Forensic Accounting you know, data is foundation and data tells the story. Yeah. So because of that and just the nature of being in accounting and, you know, we all know we always want to be objective, but we always want to use best evidence as well. So that's why this podcast is so important and that's why this first step in the investigation is so important is because we're, this is all evidence, but we want best evidence to, to be able to be the foundation for our, for our case. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I agree. So then what are some of the first things that you ask for whenever a client's told you, here are all of our issues, they've completed kind of their concerns questionnaire for us, and then nine times out of ten, what do we end up asking for? Honestly, ten times out of ten, what do we end up asking for? Bank statements. Bank statements. Credit card statements. Yep. They have investment accounts, brokerage accounts. The common denominator between all these is it's third party. They're from an independent third party source. And so the reason that's so important is because, I mean, it seems common sense, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't think this through, but it's, it can't be changed, right? Whereas accounting systems, 
their information that they provide, that they that they do in their own accounting department, that stuff can be tweaked and changed. So we want to focus initially on what are the best third-party independent sources. So what are some of our favorite things to find out of bank statements? Um, well, we always hone in on transfers for sure. Yeah. Um, that, that, I mean, apart from the actual transfer, it, you know, identifies unknown accounts. It identifies, you know, what we need to zero in on, on if there's any suspicious activity. Um, right. You probably can add in on, on, on this. Yeah, I love I love transfers. I trying to find those connected accounts, or even just looking at, just really looking at check payees and where is money going. Mm-hmm. You know, who's getting paid? And a lot of times, either those checks or transfers or even wires. Wires are some of my favorite. Those wires that will tell lead us to other bank accounts. Right. When when I was working, um, this is pre Workman Forensics, but. When I was working in forensic accounting for law enforcement, there was a case I was working that I'm entering all of the, these bank statements. I mean, it was a box. This box was so big of bank statements. And this is my version of, you know, walking to school both ways uphill in the snow. Like, you know, because this was pre-software that would help right. digitize all these bank statements. And You did. Uh, you put in the work. I did. And that was the intern's job to digitize all of this. So I, this was a really big pump and dump stock scheme. And so I was asked to schedule all of these statements. And I remember whenever I first started doing this back in like at the very beginning of my internship, I thought, this is awful. But then I started realizing I probably know more of the story than the investigator at this point, you know, other than interviews, but without just by looking at where's their money going. Mm-hmm. And so this bank statement identified a wire transfer and this wire transfer ended in an even dollar amount, and it was over four hundred thousand oh, dollars wow. in one transaction, and it was wired to a bank in Belize. And the super ding, cool, ding, 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 ding. right, right, <laughs> red flag. Um, and okay, so this was in my intern day, so I was pretty young, just hadn't been many places. But since it went to Belize, my best friend in high school had gone on a vacation to Belize, so I knew it was a foreign country. <laughs> So I went and I Googled, found the bank, you know, and then let the analysts know, hey, this is where this money went. Well, anyway, fast forward a few months. I mean, it was quite a while. And I ended up, all of a sudden, the intern has a phone call from the SEC in Washington, D.C. And they're asking me, how did you find this? You know, this is a bank account we didn't know about. How did you find this? And I'm like, uh, I was entering bank statements. Yeah. They're like, yeah, but like, what's the story behind it? I was literally just inputting transactions into an Excel spreadsheet. And then we found it. But that's one of my favorite things yeah. to do. In a lot of our cases, especially divorce cases, I think that's where we find a whole lot mm-hmm. of unknown accounts. Yeah, I looking agree. At bank statements. It seems so simple and foundational, but it tells, I mean, the bank statement for most people, you can find out what's going on. It tells the story, right? And right. So that's why we start there. Yeah. I think that made me think of a case we had a couple of years ago. It was a partnership case, and the partner controlled the books. If we had only been looking at their QuickBooks, you know, kind of their accounting system transactions and how they recorded it there, we would have completely missed what was going on. Right. And, and he ended up profiting, uh, was it over a million dollars? Yes, yeah, over a million dollars. Um, and so we didn't find that until we started looking at payroll records and bank statements, credit card statements. You know, and that's something else, you know, I think we've seen quite a few times is um, an employee will, they have sort of no oversight and they have access to the bank account and uh, or credit card account. They'll, they can set up, you know, the company pays their utilities. They have the same utility company 
And you're not going to see that in a QuickBooks. I mean, that's mm-hmm. all going to be, oh, just normal. We have electric, gas. The company has to pay that on a regular basis. And, you know, it's not until you get into the bank statements where you see there's, oh, there's four payments to this utilities company. And that should be only bi-monthly or that should be only monthly. And you look into it, you're like, okay, well, the com- you know, the company's been paying this employee's utilities for the past, you know, year or two. Right. Um, so little things like that that you're never going to find. You know, their journal entries or in their financial statements, you will find in the bank statements or credit card statements. Right. And in the case that you're talking about, that partnership dispute, if I've, um, what's super telling about it is that since the partner controlled everything, um, if we had relied only on that accounting system, it actually would have looked like our client had benefited more than the other partner. Oh, yes, true. Which I think is just a perfect example of why we don't want to rely on something that someone can actually control alter or even maybe not even intentionally but just anytime you have an accounting system somebody could just make a mistake Mm -hmm. and um, there could be errors and so forth and so using those supporting documents we don't really talk about this but I think one of the most surprising things to people who come work here whenever we start working a case is that the accounting records aren't reconciled yeah especially that was a big shock right yeah for sure especially you know my a lot of my experience was working for a, you know, when I was an auditor, I was auditing Fortune 500 company, and then when I went to work for the energy company, you know, we were publicly traded, so we, you have to do things a certain way. You dot your I's, cross your T's, right? You know, you're accountable to stock to shareholders, and like the things that were just basic one-on-one accounting, you just always do this. A lot of small businesses, they don't, Mm-mm. and so or they don't even know that their mm-hmm. employee is not reconciling. So you know. You might, somebody listening might be thinking, well, how in the world would it be that this partner in this partnership dispute would have benefited a million dollars, but in the books, it made it look like the other person benefited. Mm -hmm. They weren't reconciled. Yeah. Well, and there were just completely bogus entries. But yeah. And then one other thought that I, that just came to me about that too, is that I think a lot of times accountants kind of get wrapped up in what's in the accounting ledger. Mm-hmm. And what um, and how wrong it is from a gap or you know just best practice standpoint. Like oh my goodness, I can't believe they recorded this as this. Nobody ever, you know, no one can go cash a journal entry at right. the bank, right? And they've got to steal we, cash. And that's what we lo- we're looking at. We're looking right. at the stuff that goes under the radar, right? So I like to books. think that the cash is stolen from the bank account, which is why we look at the bank statements. Mm-hmm. The accounting rec- records often tell us the story. And they lend, not that we're here to prove intent, but they usually lend to that intent side of fraud more so than, you know, but that's not actually what's missing. Right. The accounting record doesn't. Yeah. And, and because, that. you know, just the caveat or the wanting to make this known too is we definitely want to look at their accounting records. Mm-hmm. We, we, we will use financial statements. We'll use, you know, some of the tax records. We, one of the things we always request usually is, um, you know, the filings or tax, tax mm-hmm. records. And so that does provide helpful information. It's just not usually the first thing we ask for, the most independent source. Um, If they have a a third-party CPA that, you know, isn't, there's no suspicious activity, they have, we don't, you know, we're not expecting any foul play or wrongdoing on their part, then absolutely we take his information or what he's prepared. um, Right. But we don't usually start there. So what are a couple, anything else that you kind of want to talk about that, we just look at first. Um, so we request from the clients, bank statements, credit card statements, brokerage 
account statements and or, and payroll, payroll. Yeah. and then uh, accounting records if that's yeah fitting for um, that case. But what are some of the other things that we? I just mean, a good place for us to start just to get to know our you know the parties involved is we'll we'll do you know investigative. Um, research, mm-hmm. um, whether that is reports, but one one place specifically is um, a good resource is the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy. You can go online. It's free just to go look, search for this specific individuals, um, and it, that often is a place where it can identify: Are there, you know, does one party have additional companies or LLCs? Right. You know, and that is is not going to be any concrete huge it couldn't be it might not be a huge find but it helps us know we need to ask this question or we need to try to obtain some documents to find out more information about this llc or is this llc was this were these llc's ever paid you know paid was there money ever going to these llc's from exactly make accounts and so it kind of helps us know what to be looking at gives us a big picture idea yeah just to just in case there's someone who doesn't know what the secretary of state is and in Oklahoma, we call it the Secretary of State. I think in different, the same uh, function is in every state, but yes. for us, it's called the Oklahoma Secretary of State, and that's where you go to file for LLCs, LLCs yeah, LLCs, corporations, right. Um, right. or even trade names like doing business as mm-hmm. trade names, and so it allows you to search by the registered agent and get some information on who owns these LLCs. Right. Yeah. And in that kind of same vein, another one would be the county um assessor so we right go there and look at look up look for property records for some of the specific parties involved um, and that also just helps us you know one of the things we like to do is keep track of assets as we are getting information you know identify um, assets that are involved in this investigation so that could be a good place to kind of hone in on some of those assets exactly and just keeping track of those and and who's paying for those assets mm-hmm. when did they originate um whose name are they in does that make sense that they're just in one party's name? Should they be in two? Maybe in a divorce situation. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, not some of the listeners might not have these tools, but because our business, we have some a couple private investigators mm-hmm. on our team, and then that also gives us access to some other resources and ways to find information on assets or people right. that can also be used in the investigation. Yeah, which I think we'll probably have a podcast about that down the road. Yes, we will. Yeah, our newest PI is going to sit in on yes, that one with me, so I'm excited. Do you also, kind of going to put you on the spot here, but do you have a favorite case? Oh, goodness. I think embezzlement, just in general, embezzlements are my mm-hmm. are my favorite. The nature of, you know, the transfers, funding information. Um, I love big picture, so it's fun for me, even though I'm not doing a lot of the um, analysis work anymore. I love being part of those initial conversations with clients and meetings and then helping our team keep the big picture of what's going on as well and not get lost in the details. Mm-hmm. And I think embezzlements um, are just fun. <laughs> yeah, and stories are always just great behind embezzlements. Mm-hmm. And that is the fun part, I think, of your role, getting to, like, you kind of gather all that information up front. Mm-hmm. And I can start creating my own ideas in my head and then mm-hmm. it's fun to see what plays out as Oh, that really happened, or no, that didn't really happen. Right. But yeah, it is to get an idea. Yeah, from the get go. It, it is interesting. Um, on any case, it can be divorce or embezzlement. I kind of feel like one is an individual, one's a company. You know, but I feel like they kind of follow the same pattern. And um, you start out with this big story where, well, if they did this, then they must have done this, and then if they did this, then they should have done, then they must have done that. 
And so then by the end, by relying on third-party information and doing our data analysis, we can then kind of sort what was actually true mm-hmm. and can be proven versus kind of what's hyperbole and just started right. kind of growing in, in the client's mind. Which on the other side of the spectrum, that's probably my least favorite part of the <laughs> job true. is when yeah. clients <laughs> think that, you know, oh, they're missing $500,000 and then you go through and, you know, you hear their stories like you're right there with them, want to support them, but data tells a story. Right. And then you get, give them, you know, findings and then it was only 50000 and they're just devastated because in their mind it was it was way more. Right. But at the same time, aren't they kind of happy they don't have a $500,000 loss? I, they like, should that's, be. That's usually my thought. Like, oh, yeah, you didn't lose as much money as you thought you did. Any other questions or? You know, I think we, we're focusing a lot on, especially because we're forensic accounting, we've, you know, it seems like, well, we're always dealing with money or um, numbers. And of course, yes, numbers are usually always involved, but that doesn't always mean that all the data is going to be related to money. I That's guess true. They, That's um, true. Think of one of the cases in the past, which you can probably shed more light on, but where um, GPS tracking was crucial for us to be able to connect the dots in order to then make more sense of what happened to the money. But without that GPS tracking, we wouldn't have been able to rely on best evidence or, you know, it would have been, we suspect, you know, this, but we can't prove it. So... But because of GPS tracking, you know, it was more reliable. Can you kind of... Yeah, that one, that one. I, I love this case. I love lots of cases. <laughs> but yeah, this case was a retail business. And so they had point of sale at their store, but then they would also travel and do kind of trade shows. The individual running the store, she kind of ran the store and then she'd also go do these trade shows. She set up a Square account and so that they could take credit card payments at any location and when she set it up which you know great idea owner loves this idea right and whenever she sets it up she sets it up with money's going to dump into her personal bank account that's a problem <laughs> and then um it was suspected that she would also say that she was using this square account for like a side business that they were also running and so we needed to be able to distinguish you know it, it would have been one what thing was to personal say, what was yeah like how do we determine between these to payments being taken with the same Square account, dumping into the personal bank account where some of it was personal and some of it belonged to my client. And so if you want to know, Square, if you subpoena records or ask them for exports from your account, it will list the GPS location. It's crucial. Yeah, so crucial. And so we were able to look at where were these transactions taking place. And some of them were taking place actually in the retail store. And then some of them were taking place at trade shows. And then some of them were taking place at like individual homes. And so then that made sense, you know? Uh, Yeah, that one was a great case. I love GPS data analysis. I love it. And I love that that's available to us now. Mm So, And just for the listeners, I mean, just something to be thinking about that may, you know, or even I think of small, some small businesses we've had that have like trucking companies. Yes. How important it is, you know, the difference between working cases with those companies that their trucks have GPS tracking and the ones that don't. And how you can find out so much more information, you know, if you have that technology. Right. Which is, you know, these days it's cheap and, you know, easy to easy to get. Yeah. And it's definitely worth it. I mean, we've had people talk to us about um, inventory going missing, but they didn't have, they only had GPS on some vehicles and not on others. And so how do you back into that? Mm-hmm. Which we can be pretty creative about how to solve that problem. But I, I do love that yeah, it makes data it. source. But just kind of as a recap... If someone is dealing with their very first case and they don't know where to start, we just recommend defining 
a period of time that you're going to look at. Mm-hmm. So we don't like to leave it open-ended. Mm-hmm. We like to, okay, what? ask the client, what period of time would you like for us to look at? Because obviously that's going to impact the cost to the client. Right. And then we want bank statements of every account that they know for that relevant period. We want credit card statements that would have been paid out of those bank statements. Mm-hmm. Payroll records. Spe- specifically the third party. Initially, right. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you want to make sure that they're third party mm-hmm. because I had a case several years ago where uh, this lady was all she was stealing cash out of deposits and she was altering the bank reconciliations. And she started off kind of at the beginning of the scheme. She started off by altering the bank statements. So she'd get a copy in the mail and then she'd shred that one and she'd download a copy and then alter it in Adobe or something similar, you know, and mm-hmm. then print it out. And I just so ha- I was actually going through paper records and I thought these feel different. I think, I think uh, this particular bank like punched holes in theirs. And so this didn't have holes punched. Like there were just mm-hmm. a few details that were off. And so I went and compared the ending and beginning balances of the month before and the month mm-hmm. after, and she had altered them. So you just making sure that you get it directly from the bank. Yes. And then, and then also just because there's technology out there to digitize these statements now, downloading those bank statements or credit card statements as PDFs or export it to Excel mm-hmm. so that so that that'll just, that whole process of digitizing right. will go a lot faster. And then payroll records and then if applicable accounting records. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can pretty much just start with that and then start adding evidence. And then back, just one comment on the relevant period. You know, if you're looking at it, large time span, whether it's 10 years or, you know, even eight years could be a lot, mm-hmm. take a lot of time. Um, you know, we recommend, and we, what we were, we do a lot with clients is let's focus in on the last two or three years oh, yeah, good point. because usually if people are stealing money, it starts out small, you know, and the trend is it gets a bit larger every month. So then you can at least figure out what's happening. The bulk of the money probably is going to have happened in the last few years. That's right. And then, you know, that I think keeps you from First of all, being inefficient, spending lots of time, you know, and going down kind of rabbit trails that maybe you would miss had you just focused on on the last few years. Yeah, that's a great point. Look at all these tips and tricks we're providing. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, these have been learned over a very long time and lots of cases with us. And Uh, who says data can't be fun? Oh, yeah. Data (laughs) is so much fun. Data is fun. I think we say that maybe more than anything. (laughs) Well, that and uh, you just never need to underestimate that no matter what rules or policies or procedures or accounting principles exist, people just do whatever they want. And so you just can't discount that. You can say, oh my gosh, well, you can't do that. Mm, You Hmm. probably can. And it's probably done. And even if you have the best of controls in place, I mean, you know. Oh my goodness. People can still go around that. Yeah. The collusion. Right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm sure we'll be back to tell us more stories. But thanks so much for listening today. And we hope you'll tune in next time.